Today on Motley Fool Money, a bull versus bear debate over Netflix and a look at Chipotle's future. I'm Chris Hill, joined once again by Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. We're going to start today with one of the most consequential companies in the world, and that is Alphabet. And I get that first quarter profits and revenue were a little lower than expected. I don't get the hand wringing that I'm seeing from some corners in the financial media and the analyst community. They had $68 billion in sales in the first quarter. Yeah. Which I guess technically that is lower than the expected $68.1 billion. But this is, it's 23% revenue growth compared to a year ago for a yeah. company of this size. Come on. Yeah, I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you put it that way. It's, it's often, you know, maybe pay less attention to those those sort of targets that analysts set, and pay pay more attention just to how the business is doing, right? And when you look at how Alphabet's business is doing, uh, it's hard to argue that it is not doing well. <laughs> I mean, uh, as you mentioned, revenue growth, and if you exclude currency effects, revenue growth is twenty six percent. Operating margin steady at thirty percent. And and uh, I think you know the attention getter probably, and maybe some of the hand wringing comes from the YouTube segment of the business, the the YouTube advertising revenue that came in at six point eight seven billion dollars versus the expected seven point five one billion dollars. Now again, I mean that's that's what was expected. That's kind of an arbitrary target. But if you look at the performance of the business from a year ago, I mean that that six point eight seven billion dollars was up from six billion dollars a year ago. So it did grow. Like I mean, it just maybe. Didn't grow as quickly as others um, might have expected, but there were some there were some reasons why. I mean, there is there's been some some modest performance in direct response. They continue to to, to witness uh, some headwinds there in the direct response um, side of the, of the business there, and and they have noted that th- there is there is some concern out there, right? Some 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 pulling back on advertising budgets. Uh, so so we are seeing a little bit of a slowdown in ad spend, but also part of it was just a really tough comp from a year ago and. And I mean, they made the point in the call that the largest impact from COVID on the business's results was in the second quarter of 2020. And so ultimately, what that means is that they've set the table here for a relatively tame current quarter as well, as it's going to be going up against another really tough comp. Now, with that said, I mean, we start to see things normalize a little bit more going forward. This is still the same. Awesome business that we that we've that we've always uh, talked about here. I mean, when you when you look at the the utility of the platform, the the service, the value that you get from what they provide. I mean, search is just it's it's crucial, right? But it's so much more than just search. I mean, when you have YouTube, you have Maps, you've got a hardware division, you've got cloud. I mean, just so many pieces that go into making up this business. Um, as as a shareholder myself, uh, I look at this quarter and I say, you know what? Hey, keep bringing those hands. I don't mind because it, you want to bring that that share price down a little bit more, make it make it a little bit more attractive for for people to maybe add a couple of shares to their portfolio. I think it's a reasonable time to be looking at this business because it's now trading. At around 20 times full year earnings estimates, and that's on top of already setting some fairly tame expectations. So, so I mean, this is this is a uh, looking like a better opportunity every day. Ruth Porat, the chief financial officer, talked a little bit about how um, 
you know, in response to the YouTube, their their subscription business is growing. So, you know, that's that's certainly something to keep an eye on. They're investing in cybersecurity, which you would expect them to do. They got a share buyback plan that was just approved by the board of directors. Seventy billion dollars. That is. Yeah. That is some serious cake because, that, <laughs> yeah. like, just just in terms of what they have done previously with share buyback plans, but I think that, uh, among other things, speaks to uh, the confidence they have in the business. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, when when you look at the numbers that they lob up there, I mean, YouTube now with over two billion monthly signed in users, uh, they they noted Google Maps searches for shopping near me. Those searches were up 100% globally uh, from a year ago. Uh, I mean, this 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 you, you got just so many different facets of this business that continue to perform so strongly. They're capitalizing on short form video that was up four x from a year ago. Um, so so yeah, all things considered, I mean, this is. A business that produces a lot of cash. It's pretty darn reliable. Um, and that $70 billion repurchase authorization, it sounds like a really big number. I mean, it is. Um, if you look back to 2017, since 2017, They've spent close to 130 billion dollars total in share repurchases. And you know, oftentimes with these tech companies, a lot of those repurchases just go to offset dilution, and that has been the case somewhat here. But it is worth noting the share count's down five percent since 2017. So I suspect that that'll be one more thing that can kind of help contribute a little bit more to shareholder value. There is it safe to assume that Ruth Porat. If if she's not the architect of the share buyback plan, it's just we've talked about her in the past as among other things, she keeps a close eye on the other bets spending that they do. Yeah. Um, in some cases, has reined it in. Um, and you know, maybe if you're in the other bets division at Alphabet, you're like, hey, maybe we could get some of that seventy billion to <laughs> to try some new things. But I don't know. I just uh, I have a hard time arguing against. The job that she is doing, I, I, I would not argue against the job that she's doing. I, I take solace in knowing that she's a part of this team. Um, she, she just is very thoughtful in how the company allocates capital, and, and I do, I do appreciate the fact that while they have that other bet segment of the business, and that's that's a neat thing to think about. I mean, moonshots and all the different kinds of things that that could come from that. I mean, the reality of the situation is, it's really you know, it's an incubator. It loses a lot of money, but it can come up with some really cool. Ideas. I mean, Waymo being one of them, but but it does it does feel like she she does a really good job in balancing the needs of the business all the way around from you know what they need to be able to invest in their in their workforce and their in their core offerings to making sure that that other bets side of the business still still gets what what it. Needs and what it deserves, and then and then also keeping shareholders in mind as well, and making sure that these these types of big share repurchase authorizations actually do go to to help return some value to shareholders. Chipotle's first quarter demonstrated, among other things, that this is a business with pricing power. Labor costs are going up. The cost of beef, avocados, paper products—they're all going up. But Chipotle is able to raise prices on the menu, and first quarter profits came in higher than expected. Same store sales up nine percent. 
Yep. Yeah. Another another very impressive quarter, particularly in a difficult uh, stretch. And I think it's really difficult to overstate the value that Brian Nickel has brought to this company um, during his tenure. I mean, he's just always he's so on message. I mean, he keeps Chipotle at the forefront of the conversation, but but he's not putting them up on a pedestal, you know, like Els used to do back in the day, because that's just setting yourself up to be knocked off at some point. Which which they they've been knocked off that pedestal a couple of times. Uh, but you feel like it just he doesn't take anything for granted. And he knows that he needs to work for it every day, and maybe that's just a part of where he came from, right? I mean, coming from Taco Bell, I'm sure that was a little bit of a different experience. Um, but but he just continues to execute, and I mean, sales for the quarter they were up 16 percent uh, to reach two billion dollars. Comps up nine percent, as you noted. Uh, restaurant level margin. Did fall right? They saw a decrease in restaurant level margin. I think 160 basis points versus a year ago. Uh, as as costs, input costs do continue to to weigh on the business. I mean, they they've noted uh, inflation and in, in, in workforce uh, costs that that continue to weigh on the business, but they are able to flex that pricing power muscle a little bit, right? They noted that they did raise prices over 4% at the end of the quarter, um, and ultimately, consumers are still willing to pay it, uh, which is a good thing. Um, but, but yeah, just, just another really impressive quarter for a company that you know, just managed its way through the last couple of years so, so effectively. Well, and when you think back, this quarter includes January. You think of uh, Omicron variant being on the rise and sort of peaking in January and February. Um, some parts of the U.S. dealing with bad winter weather. Chipotle, you go back. I mean, Chipotle warned that was going to affect results. So the fact that they put up same store sales growth of nine percent despite all that is is impressive. And if you're wondering, if anyone is wondering where this business is going. They opened 51 new locations in this past quarter, and most of them were built with those digital-only drive-through lanes. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean they they expect to open between 235 and 250 new restaurants this year, with at least 80 percent, including a Chipotle lane. And you know, to your point there, in in regard to January and February, I mean they did. I mean in-store sales grew by 33 percent from a year ago. So. The consumer still was was really kind of happy to get back out there, and and that was a little bit more tilted maybe towards towards the end of the quarter. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, digital represented forty two percent of sales, so they they've struck a nice balance there uh, with with the business, and they continue to experiment with the menu. Right? They noted that. The pollo asado, which has gotten a great response, and I will say, as a consumer, I've tried it. It's really tasty. I mean, if you if you not tried it, I recommend it. Um, they said it's their first chicken innovation in 29 years, and I had to kind of think back on that. Is that actually true? And I guess it is because. Other than just your plain Jane chicken burrito, I guess they haven't really done much on the chicken side of things. So it's just neat that they can get out there and and try new things at will. They're working on another menu item that they're really excited about now, um, closing in on 28 million rewards members now. And I'm one of them, Chris. And I'm going to go redeem some of those points tonight to keep <laughs> the family. Uh, but but yeah, I mean they're targeting 7,000 restaurants in North America still, and that sounds like a lot when you compare it to the 3,000 or so that they have today. Now, whether they can get to seven thousand, that that's still a question mark. I tend to look at that and maybe discount it back a little bit to be a little bit more practical. Um, 
that's still that's still a long runway of growth, uh, particularly when you add those those Chipotle's into the mix, and and I think that for for this business really the, the big question. I mean, it's it's now it's forty five times full year earnings estimates, which is not bad, considering how many restaurants they think they can still open. I think the wild card really right now for this business is just the inflationary environment and how much more they can potentially raise prices, because you can't do that forever. There is a point where consumers will say, "Nah, I'm going to go somewhere else." Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. In the past 12 months, shares of Chipotle are flat, which is basically what the overall market has returned as well. Shares of Netflix, on the other hand, are trading 60% lower than a year ago. So, is this a buying opportunity, or is Netflix past its prime? To kick off today's debate, here's Ricky Mulvey. This is Bull versus Bear. We take a company, we find some analysts, and we flip a coin to decide which side they take. Today, the company is Netflix. And in the Bull corner, we have Jim Mueller. Jim, good to see you. Hello, Rick. And in the Bear case, you know, it's usually in bad taste to knee the head of a downed opponent, but Bill Mann will be giving the Bear case for Netflix right now. You excited? The king of bad taste. <laughs> He's going to enjoy this one, I can tell. <laughs> So, we'll have about four minutes for each side, and then you get to decide who the winner is by voting in our poll at Motley Fool Money on Twitter. Jim, whenever you're ready with the bull case, you can get started. All right. So, we all know Netflix, right? The the leader and the first, first advantage mover of online over-the-top streaming, con, uh, video content on demand, entire seasons all at once, and all that stuff. And for a very long time, that's been working just perfectly. In the before times, the thesis was simple. High growth of subscribers, 20%, 30% a year for eight plus years uh, since they really went all in on, on uh, streaming. That means more revenue every year, which means the ability to spend more on the content, which means if the content is good, they get more subscribers. And for a very long time, that that, uh, flywheel worked very, very well. And along the way, management met and dealt with problem after problem, especially the Quickster one back in 2011, where they basically doubled the revenue of the company by splitting the DVD service and the uh, streaming service and started charging for both. And they overcame the hassles that that ha- that that came with that. And actually, that was the last time until the, just this past quarter that uh, the company had seen sequential decline in subscriber growth. Now, since uh, we've been coming out of the pandemic, we've had five quarters in a row of less than 20% subscriber growth year over year. And for the last four quarters, uh, ending in the most recently reported Q1 2022, Less than 10%, and that's uh, and in this last quarter, technically they had a sequential decline. They they lost 200,000 subscribers, but uh, we knew that there was going to be a Russia effect. Uh, Russia contributed 700,000 uh, subscriber loss to that, but still that was still a bad miss against the management expectations of 1.8 million subscriber growth uh, backing out Russia. So. And management's forecasting another decline for for this current quarter Q2, and so that has a lot of the bull side scratching their head and and saying, is the is that old thesis uh, still going, or or do, uh, do we have to uh, figure out what the company is going to be doing next? And 
I think it's the latter nowadays. I mean, I still have confidence in management. They, they have a long history of uh, meeting and overcoming problems, but this is going to be a big problem that's going to take some time to figure out. They have a couple of different paths ahead. They could just pull back a touch on the content spending and become a cash flow generating machine, kicking out billions and billions of dollars in free cash flow, hold sub count steady or grow slowly. We saw how that looks uh, back in 2020 when they had to cut back production in the middle of the lockdowns. They generated $2 billion of free cash flow that year, and they could use that to buy back shares, grow, EP, uh, grow earnings per share, and uh, grow their share price that way. Or they could uh, look around for other sources of revenue growth. Uh, they mentioned in the last quarter password sharing. Uh, they're going to crack down on that, but that's just a one-time boost. Uh, they've been investigating games and could possibly turn that into a revenue stream. Advertising, that uh, they're going to look into that, uh, offer an ad-based tier subscription. Uh, generate revenue from that. And of course, there's always licensing and merchandising, basically doing the Disney play. And management has indicated they're going that route. Uh, it won't be a fast fix, uh, so we don't expect uh, multiples and 50% uh, growth in one year that they've had in the past. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trustful of management that they will be able to figure out what, they've, uh, what they'll do. They've earned my trust in the past. They've been very upfront with uh, shareholders, very honest, uh, haven't shied away from uh, recognizing problems and telling, them, telling people how they're going to try to fix them. And they've shown to be good at pivoting, so I think they can do it again going forward. Bill Mann, you lost the coin toss. You elected to go second with the bear case. What do you got? I'm interested how I ended up getting to choose which side I wanted to go after I lost the coin talks, but I guess I lost the coin talks because I am the bear for Netflix. And you're right, this is a very, very important company for, you know, in the Motley Fool's history, even. This is a company that we have ridden, we've recommended many times, and it has been a fabulous company for us and for our, for our, our shareholders. But you have to ask, where we're going to from today. And Netflix has gone from an open skies market to a Lord of the Flies market, where they are now in a competition with well-heeled, incredibly deeply pocketed competitors who are putting out great content from their own libraries. There's a statistic from this last quarter that I think really nails down exactly where Netflix is and where the challenge is for them. They spent $556 million in marketing. $556 million, that's half a billion in marketing, and their subscriber base shrank. Which means that if they paid people 100 bucks to sign up, that would be 5.6 million new subscribers. Their churn was incredible. It had to have been this last quarter. It currently is still also the most expensive of the streaming services. And so I think you have to ask yourself with Netflix's uh, position where they are now in a highly competitive market, is it any longer the default choice for subscribers? What we've heard over years was that subscribers would have Netflix plus one or two other subscription services. I think that what we're seeing now, and I think that the numbers from the, from the companies 
marketing costs really, really bear this out, is that it's not even that they are losing to what are called streaming tourists, the people who sign up when they want to watch something and then cancel when, when, when they're finished. They're losing to their competitors. It is no longer Netflix plus, plus a few. It's a few and maybe Netflix. Their cash burn is growing. They are, they, they, they are pushing very, very hard to retain subscribers, at least in part because of the cash burn, at least in part also because of the incredible amount of money that they are spending for new content. So, Netflix, it would not surprise me. I, I, I think very highly of their management team. They have, they, they have been uh, trailblazers in the past. They have done things that people didn't believe that were going to work, but they have not done them in an environment where they're going up against Disney. They're going up against uh, Discovery. They're going up against Amazon. They're going up against CBS and Apple. I think it's too much to, you know, in terms of competition for Netflix to be assumed to be the the default anymore. And so then you have to question why it is that subscribers in their millions would continue to pay a premium. Thank you, gentlemen. You can decide who made the better argument at Motley Full Money on Twitter. We'll have a poll up there and you can check the results. Thank you. Like Ricky said, we've got a poll on Twitter, at Motley Fool Money. You can cast your vote for who made the stronger argument on Netflix. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.